she was considered COVID positive, but she needed to have um, transfusions to support her leukemia. Hello, I'm Rachel Deere, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the September 25th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. To attest for credit, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. There, you will also find all of our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CE programs on a wide range of topics. Today's learning objectives are list three benefits of an oncology urgent care center, describe the impact of COVID-19 for cancer patients, and explain the value of implementing an oncology biocontainment urgent care unit during the COVID-19 pandemic. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Pfizer Incorporated and in-kind by DKB Med. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. Back with us today, we have Michaela Olson and Gina Szymanski from the Sydney Kimmel Comprehensive Care Center at Johns Hopkins Hospital, where Michaela is an oncology clinical nurse specialist and Gina is the assistant director of nursing. This is part two of Michaela and Gina's interview where they will be discussing biocontainment in the urgent care unit for oncology patients and its role during the COVID-19 pandemic. For part one, please visit our September 18th webcast. The second part of the interview will resume now. You reminded me of a couple things. So in our urgent care bio, some of the feeders into that would be those front door screeners that are standing there asking those questions and find that suddenly they have somebody that has COVID-like symptoms right at the front door. So we had a workflow where they would move that patient to a special room and then shut the door and get the patient's phone number and then somebody would come to do a formal assessment of that patient and if they were still considered COVID positive, we would have a transport safety officer transport that patient up with a nurse to our urgent care bio unit, put them in a room and then begin to do the COVID workup for that patient. So we could take care of those patients that showed up at our entryways. We had a process for that. If they were well enough, of course, then we would just ask them to leave, get in their car, and they would, we would have them get tested through our testing tents. But for people that were sick, that we could tell needed our care, we could immediately bring them right up to urgent care bio and have um, a very robust nursing triage program. And those nurses were just overwhelmed with calls, lots and lots of calls from patients with symptoms, patients concerned, is this my chemotherapy? Is this COVID? I, I don't know. I just am very worried. And they were able to um, refer patients to our urgent care bio unit that needed hydration or antibiotics or had a fever and needed a workup. And then we were able to simultaneously test them for COVID. So we, in that urgent care bio, we've tested hundreds of cancer patients for COVID. 
The majority of them luckily were negative and we were able to move them back out into regular care pretty efficiently. Um, a couple cool stories that we had in the beginning that I know you'll remember, Gina. Um, we had a woman that was admitted and very sick elderly woman to the main hospital to a biocontainment unit for COVID-19, but also uh, was a cancer patient. And when she got discharged, it was still in the time period when she was considered COVID positive, but she needed to have um, transfusions to support her leukemia. She was able to drive with her husband every day or every few days to our hospital. Our transport safety officer would meet them down in our ambulance bay and transport them through a special route into our urgent care bio unit so that we could provide the care that she needed um, during this time. We also had a couple patients that had fairly newly diagnosed cancer that were COVID positive, and it was pretty critical that they continue to get their chemotherapy to treat their malignancy. Mm -hmm. And we were able to provide chemo to, at, in an ambulatory setting to COVID positive patients. Most recently, we've partnered with um, some of our research colleagues from the main hospital, and they've been able to borrow some of our space to administer convalescent plasma uh, in our urgent care biospace. And we've done uh, about 20 patients in, in there non-cancer patients, um, but patients that needed convalescent plasma. So that was a good partnership and just an, uh, sort of an aside of the work that we did. Um, the other thing that I want to talk about from, I know what I would answer, but what would you answer to some of what were some of our biggest obstacles at, right in the beginning? I think initially it was is was the space and just figuring out, you know, we needed something adjacent. We were going to be sharing staff at, at some level, you know, there's all the bells and whistles really are with the, you know, original urgent care space, the supplies, some of the special things that we have over there. We weren't going to be able to duplicate everything in the space that we had. So we needed to be close enough to, you know, be able to take advantage of an urgent care clinic that was already set up. Um, and we wanted to be able to communicate and efficiently be able to move stuff and people back and forth. So space was probably initially that. The next hurdle was, could this space be all negative pressure space because the environment needed to be all negative pressure. So that was, you know, holding our breath for another few days while the experts, you know, the HVAC experts got in there and, and really poked around. We learned, you know, we basically had these big external HEPA filters. These things couldn't be built into the walls or the ceiling. They were very noisy, a lot of duct work in the room. And so this room doesn't really look like a, you know, a treatment room or a, or a hospital patient treatment room. You're not really sure what it looks like. There's a, some semblance of hospital stuff in there, but then there's these big HEPA filters that are actually a lot, it's a lot of a white noise. It wasn't really super loud, but it was a lot of white noise. So it, you know, some of it was reconciling that this was the space. The important thing was it was clean. It was all negative pressure. We were able to get, uh, you know, furniture from different places that matched. It looked like it was very purposely put together, which was something I was very adamant about. Originally, they didn't want to paint it. We had to put a second bathroom in because we had to have a, a bathroom for clean and a bathroom for dirty. And they were a little hesitant about doing that. We, they, we pushed, they figured it out. Um, and what, what we ended up with was really some very quaint space. It was all clean. It was all painted. We had half walls and curtains kind of so that patients would have privacy. Um, enough of the hampers and, and vital sign machines to keep everybody safe so that we weren't moving equipment between rooms. 
And it, it really actually came out very, very nicely. So I think the, the, the front end piece with just getting it to look what it needed to look like in an adjacent space was our biggest worry. I knew the workflows would transfer. You know, Michaela and I have worked together for a long time. We have a very purposeful way of solving problems and, and we do it for the long term and we do it more big picture. So when something's done, it's done with a lot of thought, like if, if we went in this direction, if we went in that direction. So we know how to sort of put the workflows together. It really was the space that was most worrisome and, and it was fine. And then the staffing kind of filled in itself once the research nurses were on board. So those were, that was probably the biggest thing was the space. I also, um, when we were talking about redeployment, wanted to just give a shout out to our oncologists and nurse practitioners that were uh, basically home doing televisits, a lot of them, and not on site. And we based, our medical director put out a, a call to all of them to say, hey, we need providers in our urgent care biospace, would you help us? Um, they were a little nervous because it is like a little emergency room and they were not all sure of what to expect and what our workflows were and would they be successful in there. And so I, I set up Zoom sessions where I educated them about urgent care, about our algorithms, about all the resources available to them, some of the workflows, a virtual tour of the urgent care center, the urgent care bio, so that they would know what it's like. And, and for the most part, you know, they came in and did a really heroic job for us helping to staff that, that urgent care bio as well. So in addition to our research nurses. Uh, the last thing I think we kind of touched on this all the time, but the question was, what do you view as some of the key successes that we've had in our urgent care biospace? Mm -hmm. Yes, I think um, probably one of the most important things, and it was what we really were trying to achieve from the beginning. We wanted our own space to take care of our own patients. We really had a lot of reservations about sending them outside of the cancer center. And it isn't because we don't think there are smart people outside of the cancer center. There are very smart people. But it was about COVID, non-COVID. It, it was really about these immunotherapies and the other drugs that they get that kind of can mirror these symptoms. And we just really, we didn't want any, anything to take longer than it should or be more traumatic than it should. So keeping them with their own nurses and their own oncologists and having the space to do testing and negative, we whip you over to the clean side and, you, and you're good to go and that's the normal workflow. Positive, you stay with us and we take care of your urgent care need that day or we treat you if that's what's needed. Even on the inpatient side, uh, we used our negative pressure rooms to hold on to our patients to, to get a, a read on them first. And if they were positive, that's when we would admit them to a, a COVID positive room in, you know, in, the, in the main house but really very committed to sort of holding on to our patients and making sure we set the standard for what we thought they needed during this pandemic, it's just an unprecedented time. So the ability to hold on to them was really very important, very critical. Right, and then lastly, I think that um, collaborating with our pharmacy colleagues was also key. They were able to repurpose a Pixis machine so that we'd have all of our medications that we needed. We didn't wanna have a situation where we had a neutropenic febrile patient that needs antibiotics within a certain time frame to prevent sepsis. And then uh, we were having difficulty getting those meds. So our pharmacy colleagues were extremely helpful in, in having the, the space ready so that med administration would be um, seamless in that area. 
if we had a, a reaction or, or some other problem that we needed to take care of. So, so that was a great partnership as well. Are there any other final thoughts that you have about our experience that you'd like to share? I think we've learned from our patients. It was a patient and his wife who got us started on our urgent care journey. Um, he was sent to the emergency room one day and he was sitting in a spot in the emergency room where he could look out the window and see the corner of our building and actually see the windows sort of where his wife was when she's treated. You know, she's in right there. She, it's that window right there is where she would be. And he said it was just so unbelievable to think that his only option when she developed a problem between appointments was the emergency room. And the emergency, the people, these are our colleagues in the emergency room. Again, wonderful people deliver wonderful care, but oncology patients is really not what they wanna take care of. And so their knee jerk reaction is always to admit them. And it takes about 10 hours to make that happen. So nobody likes going to the emergency room. And he said it was an assault. It really felt like an assault on his wife to be sitting in an ED where she didn't belong for a lot of reasons that he completely understood. And he could see literally a few hundred feet away, the building where it was safe, that was her safe place. And that's where the people were that took care of her. And we've used his quote in, in a lot of our talks that we've done for people about our urgent care program. And so, um, you know, we, we built this for a reason and it has a purpose to it. And the purpose really plays itself out very nicely. We're gonna expand, we're gonna go to a 16 hour business day, eventually get to 24 hours. We'd like to eventually get you know, to some observation status where if we think we need, somebody needs some treatment for a day or two, that we wouldn't even admit them. We would be able to keep them in an urgent care type environment and do some observation status and keep people out of the hospital altogether. And that's our goal now. I mean, there, this was one adaptation. We had another great adaptation that Michaela sort of was the architect of, and this was a curbside shot clinic. You know, we we basically recognize the adaptation. We needed to figure out how to keep people out of the hospital and yet still treat them because we were so worried about, you know, germ load that gets brought in every time even a patient walks in the door. So the notion that we took our entire shot business and some blood drawing and some dressing changes, we've got, we've taken a lot to the curbside and patients love it. It's been hugely successful. So when you, when you center around the patient and that experience, you just don't get it wrong. Um, and, and we've been always very committed and very fortunate that we've had leadership that has allowed us to innovate that way. And we don't talk about the money first. We don't talk about, well, where would we do, like, we don't get tied up in that. The first conversation is always, we have a need for, for, our, for our patients and how do, we, how do we best articulate it? And now we need to sell it and then we need to find the space and where we're gonna take care of it. Yeah, and I think that was pretty phenomenal that we, this, basically about three weeks and we had this stood up and, and we were doing business. So, well, thank you for joining me. Usually we'd be in the same room having these conversations, but um, we do the best we can right now. So, yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Michaela. And thank you, Gina, for your valuable insights. As a reminder, to claim credit, please go to covid19.dkbmed.com, select today's activity, and complete the evaluation. You'll receive your certificate immediately after. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q is in question, A is in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.